Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather Gonna kick all trouble out the door Beat out all trouble on drum Beat out all trouble on drum Beat out all trouble on drum Welcome to Radical Australia. That's right. Now, those of you who may have recognised that singer, and I am sure Dale knew who that was. Yes. Who was that, Dale? That was Margaret Roadnight. Well, you know, she had just had her 75th birthday. Oh, happy birthday. And she had a gig down in Brunswick somewhere. Oh, lovely. I think it was on Sunday, or maybe it's this Sunday. I'm not sure. Happy birthday. Yeah, good. She was a fantastic guest here on Radical Australia. Now, look, we've had a late cancellation, very late this is what happens when you run a live show, isn't that correct? It is indeed. Now we had we had two options. Mm-hmm. We could have done a boring repeat. Well, they're not boring because the interviews are quite. All the chats are quite interesting. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon they're interviews. They're not chats. I don't do chats. Well, you, you chat say, every time someone comes in, you say, "I don't do interviews. We that's just right. have a conversation." Exactly. So. <laughs> that's 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 to lull them into a false sense of security, <laughs> Dale. You know that it's to okay. lull them into a false sense of security. Now. First of all, I'd like to thank all those people who donated to the Radio Fund for Radical Australia. We've nearly reached our total. I'm not exactly sure. So if somebody's listing out there in the office, maybe they could run in with the figures, but we are looking for about another 100 bucks. I'd like to thank Jessica personally, who, re- who rang in last week and donated $100. Jessica from Montevideo. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jessica. Now, so if you do want to donate... Any time during the program, you can just ring 039-419-8377. Now, we had a number of options, Dale. We could have got you to speak, but you've spoken. <laughs> you could have got me to speak, but I've spoken. Well, we've never actually interviewed you, but you uh, seem resistant to the idea somewhat. Not really. I will, I will be interviewed, I think, soon, because I, I, I'm feeling, you know, these mortal urges. You know these things? I'd love to, um, you know, facilitate yeah, that yeah. some way. Well, maybe you could do the interview. Darling. Well, perhaps. I mean, who else knows me better? You've been locked up with me in a room <laughs> for many weeks, years to be exact. Oh, and loving it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I like about you. You're such, such a good liar. <laughs> No, no, really, we've never had any, we've never had a crossword, Dale and I. It's been an extraordinary partnership. We're on the same side. Of course we are. Now, what we're going to do today, as I spoke, now we've got Jane's on the front desk. Now, Jane's a 3CR stalwart. Now, we are running out of guests. And if we run out of guests, we're going to pull the plug on this program. And I'd like to talk about the reason we set up Radical Australia about five years ago. There was uh, yeah, Gary Foley and myself. 
Now, the idea of Radical Australia was we believed, well, Gary and I are both long in the tooth and we're uh, going out the back door and we've seen many, 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 many fellow activists go out the back door. And uh, it's quite extraordinary when you go to their funerals how little record they've left of all the work and the activity and the things they've done in their life. And the idea of Radical Australia wasn't just to interview somebody, it was actually to give our listeners a little bit of courage to take up that baton and not let it fall to the ground, that anybody can be an activist and that activists come from many, many fields of human endeavour and from many you know, experiences, both bad and good. And the thing about all the guests we've interviewed over the years uh, is that, uh, as you've noticed, is there there are... It's a wide variety of people, but they're all keenly interested in changing, improving the human condition. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to encourage you, that's right, little you, because we're not interested in interviewing Mr Shorten or Mr Turnbull or Mr Lowey or, you know, Ms Ms. Reinhardt. You name him, I have no interest. Or that big fellow, what's his name? The one with all the ads at the minute who owes all these workers money. No. No, I've forgotten his name. He used to be in some party and, you know, yeah, but he's now trying to rehabilitate oh, yeah. himself by polluting the skyline. Yeah. yeah. We're not interested in that. But we're interested in people like you. Now, you listen to Radical Australia for a reason because you're interested in what people have experienced and what they have to say. So we'd like to interview you. Not now, not today. It's too late, isn't it? Too late. But if you ring Jane now, and it doesn't cost you anything except a phone cost or a local phone call, and if you've got a plan, it doesn't really matter. You can make as many as you like as long as you pay for the plan. Isn't that right? Isn't that the way they do Something it? Something like days? that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you ring 94198377 and say, look, I think I've had a reasonably interesting life. I'd like to share my life with the listeners. You don't have to be 90 or 97 or 82. You can be 22 because some 22-year-olds have had an interesting, exciting life compared to old people like me. You see Dale over there? (laughs) I'm looking at Dale. She's had an extraordinarily, how will we put it, varied life, interesting life? Well, you know, yeah, a life. A life. You've had a life. Well, I think that's how life is a complicated thing and uh, nothing is, can be boiled down into a single sound bite. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You've had, you've had, you've had a life, which is extraordinary. And we've, we've, we've had some extraordinary interviews with people nobody knows anything about who've done amazing things at a local level. Mm. We're not looking at people who've sat in the barricade and taken a bullet in the head. They're dead usually and there's no point interviewing them. But we are looking at, you know, people who've done the hard yards, done the groundwork, done the, you know, the uh, grass, what do you call it, grass work? Grassroots. Grassroots, thank you. Well, look, if if I can just add something, I I, I think um, Radical Australia is also a bit of an antidote to the way the mainstream represents political activists. Mm. The mainstream represents political, people who are active politically in their community as negative, in a really negative light, as the great unwashed, as just rat bags. And Australians are really encouraged to look at being political as oh, just for rat bags yeah. and the thing is the, the people who are on 
the ground, actually trying to work for their community, uh, are people who are passionate about whatever mm. cause it is mm. because of the things that have happened in their lives. Mm. And it puts a human face, mm. the real human face, to mm. that act, to those activists. And it's, it's, the antidote to how the mainstream presents someone who's active in their community. And it's, I think it's quite important that people see and hear the real story uh, of what's going on, what leads people to get active in their community, to consider themselves part of a community and to consider that community worth working towards a better goal. And so, you know, Radical Australia, it is a great record of that work, but also it does put a, it's, it's the real face of activism, not the face that the mainstream media would have you believe. Yeah, you're quite right. Look, I, I've been working for 43 years. I never had a break. I've been working 60 hours a week. This is my, uh, my medical practice. Average 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And I, I just, I just, every time somebody tells me when I'm at a protest or involved in something or taking up an issue or trying to improve people's lives on a social or community level and somebody says, get a job, uh. I feel like strangling them. And I'm going to do that sooner or later. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to. Get a job. And that's what they think about political activists. They think of as if they got, we're talking about community activists, social activists, cultural activists. Political activists, not just straight political activists. Obviously, activism comes in in many ways. So I'm just sick of people, as you said, Dale, you raised an exceptionally important point, thinking that all people who are agitating for change are somehow brain dead or unworthy mm. of actually being heard. Mm. Because it wasn't for some Quaker getting up 300 years ago in, in a little little room and saying... I would like to start a campaign to abolish slavery in the British colonies. You know, slavery would never have been abolished. Hmm. And if it wasn't for some activist who, you know, 30 or 40 years ago said, I am sick and tired of being pigeonholed and being criminalised for my sexual preferences, we wouldn't have a gay rights movement, you know. And if it wasn't for people who fought tooth and nail for generations to ensure that people had access to the basic necessities of life, we wouldn't have a social security net. Mm. And it's these people who are normally forgotten. Mm. Have you noticed? This is one of my pet hates, Darwin. You know I've got a few. <laughs> and one of them includes people with pink fingernails, but that's a different story. you got pink fingernails? Not on today. Not today, that's all right. <laughs> no, I actually like pink fingernails and green. But, you know, one of my pet hates is, you know, people who say, oh, well, really, I'm modest, I don't want to talk about myself. Well, if you don't talk about yourself, nobody else is going to. And when I interview you, I'm not really 100% interested in you as an individual. What I'm interested in is what you've done, but more importantly, how you have got to that position. Mm. It's not just about you, the interview. The interview is to, to give courage to listeners mm. who may find themselves in that situation, who say to themselves, oh, it's all hopeless, you know. That's right. What's the point? Mm. Or it's always been that way and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm. And those, those, that rhetoric is, is so, so strong in in the Australian psyche, you know, that, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's all, well, not almost. We're 
anti-political creatures here in Australia, and that's I find shocking mm. to con- you know to consider. Um, I've got a lot of European friends, and mm. and there is just this innate recognition that every human being born is a political creature because it depends on what date you're born, what year you're born, what epoch you're born into, as to where a border is, as mm. to what a law is. So every single child that's born is a political creature, whether you want to recognise that or not. Whereas here in Australia, I guess because we been so far away from that um mm. those constant cha- constantly changing borders mm-hmm. you know um we think we we've got this luxury of of leaving politics to rich people mm. and you know it's led us to the point where we are now that's right you leave it to the experts no. leave it to the experts leave it to the richies leave it to those who can afford it now, you raise a very important point we are all political creatures because people talk about dna nurture and nature it's not just your family and not just the people you go to school with, it's actually society as a whole. Mm. You speak to somebody who comes from an Islamic, fundamentalist, Sharia law, nation state. And although they may have some, you speak to them and you can actually see how their ideas have been fashioned by living in that society. Speak to somebody who lives in Australia and you can see how their ideas have been fashioned by the laws and the culture that's dominant at that particular point in time. And it is, it's very um, ephemeral because it is about that point in time mm. because times change and that's the, what makes us political creatures as well. That's right. Times change, situations change as we've seen. Now everybody says, oh, Joe, you've been involved in this for 40 years. What do you have to show for it? Well, personally, I've got to show an empty wallet, <laughs> but that doesn't really upset me that much. But what I've got to show for it is all the changes that have come across over the last 40 years. There have been extraordinary changes in this society. I mean, you know, as convener of the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee, I just remember that in 1968 when Peter Norman, you know, stood up on the dais at the Mexico Olympics on the 16th of October uh, 1968, 50 years ago, and said with the two Afro-Americans, Mr Carlos and Mr Smith, the uh, bronze and gold medalist, He had his little badge on for universal human rights. He supported universal human rights. And he said, I will stand with you. Now, in 1968, he was humiliated. He was ostracised. He wasn't chosen for the 672 Munich Olympics, the first time in Olympic history that an Australian had not run in a a sprint race. He was punished. He was punished for that 50 years later. It's interesting to see how a lot of these ideas are still there, but the difference is today there are people who fight back against those ideas, whether it's people who protest against ultra-nationalists and ultra-rightists, you know, you know, fly the flag and talk about racial purity, or whether it's people who, you know, who, uh, you know, stand up for other people because of their uh, differences as far as their sexual preferences or gender or, or, or race or colour is. I mean, it's a different society. So there have been changes. Economically, we've gone backwards. Mm. I agree. Mm. I mean, 40 years ago, I believe that um, things were a lot better economically. But I think in other uh, degrees, we've gone forward. Now, unfortunately, Dale, the lights have not actually come on. <laughs> I saw one. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but it could have been somebody, you know, donating oh. to the radio phone. But we actually want you. And don't, don't, uh, this false modesty 
is crap. Well, I guess the thing is, if you're passionate about an issue enough to get involved and mm. get active, then you've got to realise that coming on Radical Australia can only forward that issue. It can only help that issue because even though you will be talking about how you became passionate about that and your individual activities in that, mm. it also lets the people listening know that these activities exist, that this issue exists, mm. that there is something to get involved with. So it's, it's an invitation to action as well. So yeah, it's not, you know, yeah, I guess I wouldn't go so harsh as to say false modesty because a lot of people don't enjoy talking about themselves. But mm. really, when you t- mm. when we have a chat with you on Radical Australia, where it's the issue, the the activity that you're involved in that we're we're disseminating information about, you know, and and with an invitation for other people to join you in that activity. Yeah, I mean, that's part of that's that's a big part of it. You know, we're not going to ask you about your f- sexual preferences and whether you like to stand upside down. And that's one of the things I say to people before they come on air. Mm. We talk about you, but there is if there's anything you don't want to talk about, mm. you just say I don't want to talk about that, that's right. and we won't yeah, touch it. It's not an expose. No, no, it's it's no. it's it's a conversation to encourage people to get active. And you know, we've had a little bit of feedback, and I've heard people say that, you know, they've been to rallies after hearing mm. nice people on Radical Australia talking, like especially some of the our elderly activists, yep. you know, people say, well, if if they're not afraid to go on the march, then what have I got to be afraid of? And that's mm. exactly what we're, well, I would hope to yep. achieve through this mm. program, mm. that, um, you know, to demystify, destigmatize mm. getting involved and to let people know that it's safe. Political disobedience is a safe place and there is a community that can provide safety when you join and in, in get involved. Yeah, we, we march of the, under the, behind the banner of collective defiance. Collective defiance to mainstream ideology and opinions. Now, you may be a little bit, you actually may actually know somebody who's interesting who could, would want to maybe become on Radical Australia. Just give us their name and phone number and we'll <laughs> give them a ring, hmm. give them a bit of a surprise and see if they're interested because, you know, you may think you're not worthy and obviously you are worthy, but you may, you may, may know somebody's worthy. And we're not into political correctness. We're not here, I'm not here to say that, you know, this and that. What I'm here to what we're here for is to actually get people's stories and how it uh, interacts with their activism, how it makes them an activist, what makes them care, how things change. That number again, Jane's waiting for your call. So are we, because as I said before, we really will have to review Radical Australia at the end of the year. Whether we go on for another year or not is basically determined by whether we have enough guests or not. Because obviously at 3CR there's always uh, room for new programs and we like new programs. And I mean, Dale and I, you know, I, look, I've been on, pro- on 3CR for 41 years and Dale, look, I'm going to make a confession. Can I make a confession? Please you, do. You're not going to tell anybody? I promise I won't. Now, I reckon Radical Australia is my, personally, my best program on 3CR because it gives me the opportunity to actually use my experience over the years to ask the questions that are needed to give us into an insight into the individual who comes into this studio. It doesn't matter if they're a well-known activist or whether nobody's ever heard of them. You know, and I think uh, it, 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 it is a, uh, 
And the other thing is, apart from conversations on uh, radio, I think it's Radio National, ABC, there's really no other program on air, Mm. on radio, that I know of, and I stand to be corrected, Mm. where you interview somebody for an hour, and even on conversations they have ads. We Mm. have no music, we have no ads. We just continue the interview for the whole 55 minutes, which gives us a chance to understand the individual involved. Now, that number again is 94198377. Now, Dale, can I ask you another question? You certainly can. Now, am I as evil as people think I am? Not at all. Your, <laughs> your bark is worse than your bite. <laughs> well, I'm very pleasant to people. Well, really. that's right, you know, and um, that's the thing, you know, you're... You're gentle in how you treat people, but also, you know, you you have enough force to be reckoned with as well. <laughs> so, you know, don't be scared of Joe. No. Um, and, I and you're can, here, to, and you're here to put me in. Well, order. that's the thing. I'll be no. the black block if necessary. You know, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll stand between. Uh, you know, I'll I'll pull him up if he gets a you know a little bit uh, too aggressive. But it very rarely happens. Well, we don't get aggressive. I'm not here to change your politics. No, not at I all. I may disagree wholeheartedly with your political analysis, your ideological bent, your religious persuasion or non-religious persuasion. You know, I may I may find it offensive, but I'm not interested in that. I'm actually interested in the person I'm interviewing, like the people who are listening to the program, they're actually interested in the person we are interviewing because they are learning things which they would possibly never know, not just about that individual, but a particular campaign. Hmm. Who would remember? Now, how old were you 41 years ago? 41 years ago, I Uh, would have been four. And in 1968, would you have been around? No, I was born in 73. Yeah, so who knows about the moratoriums? Mm. 50 years, mm. 50 years, almost. I remember when I was a teenager reading in um, one of the books in my library at school. Mm. It was a book on, called Being Black or Living mm. Black. I'm, I'm sorry mm. if I can't remember the exact title. Mm. But um, I was. I remember being shocked when I read that um, in 1971 the last Aboriginal woman was um, allowed out of the uh, the confines, like uh, the, right. the men and women were separated That's right. so that they didn't breed. That's right. And, and I thought that was just two years before I was born. Mm. Mm. And I was shocked and disgusted mm. to hear that, right. well, to read that. And, mm. and it just sort of, you know, this, like, as you say, times do change. Mm. And, uh, mm. you know, we, the, the fight's is so important to keep mm. continue with, mm. you know, and mm. that's why we need to hear, we, we need people to hear your stories, the things that have happened in your life that have led you to action because that's, that's how we get passionate about a cause. Mm. It's the things that happen to us. Yeah. Like the chap we had on about, um, uh, he, he usually does the jazz program yeah. of, of a weekend, but he's also a Vietnam vet's sort of activist yeah. and, and yeah. you know, because of his, his the things that had happened in his life, you yeah. know, during that mm. time. Mm. And, you know, so it's the things that happened to us. That's why it's such a biographical program. Yeah. You know, it's what we go through that leads us, that get, makes us passionate about particular causes. So that's why we need to make it biographical. But at the same time, you, I hope you, the listeners do understand that, uh, well, the people we're trying to invite 
to come on understand that while it's biographical, it's very much about your cause, mm, mm, you know, and it mm. can very much further your cause and invite people to get involved in your cause. Mm. Well, I've, I've got three. Look, I'll give you. Look, I may as well open up. Keep ringing nine four one nine eight three double seven. We want you. We want to interview you. We don't care if we've never heard of you. You know, you, you are, are important. No, you're interesting. Yeah, you may not be important. Oh, you're important to us. You're important to us. Yeah, Yeah, but you're interesting. I'll I'll give you three examples of things that have shaped my my thinking over the years. In 1971, I lived on a small agricultural block outside Archerfield Airport in Brisbane. In 71, I would have been 19. And I was working in the farm, hoeing away. You know, getting rid of the weeds around the strawberries or could have been capsicums or tomatoes. And I see this convoy of police cars, one after another, after another, after another, drive up to the airport, which is about 500 metres away from where I'm working. So I decide to investigate. Remember, this is the, at the height of the anti-apartheid struggle. Mm. And the Springboks, which was an all-white South African rugby, I think it's a rugby union yeah, team, yeah. Uh, had uh, was coming to Australia to play. And the conservative McMahon government supported the Springboks coming. Well, there was an active movement against the apartheid and against the Springboks, Springboks playing. I remember I walked up and I got there and there was this long driveway which I was familiar with up to the control tower in this you know this uh, regional airport outside Brisbane Archfield airport which is still functioning today and there must have been about 400 police 200 on either side lining right down to the gate it was about more oh, 600 700 meters long so me being a stupid 19 year old in my fongs as you would wear in Queensland and my shorts and no shirt and long flowing hair, you know, I was a sex symbol in those days, Dale. Well, not actually. Oh, I can just imagine. I, I can, can imagine. see it, Joe. Yeah, I can see. I'm walking down, walking down between all these coppers, right? Because I'd worked out that the bastards were not going to be brought in at Brisbane Airport where the protests were. They were going to be flown into Archerfield Airport. You know, there's every chance my dad was one of those coppers. I wouldn't be surprised because they brought them in from the country. And I walked up that pathway right up to the senior captain or whatever he was and and he said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here to protest. I said, I'm here to actually be the voice of the people you're trying to exclude. And he said, you know, F off, we'll arrest you. I said, well, look, there's 400 of you, there's one of me, you can do what you like. And uh, that was that. So that was a, a very important experience for me. Mm, mm. Another another experience was in 1972. I was a third year medical student, and I had gone. I'd been placed for a placement at Wolston Psychiatric Hospital uh, in Ipswich, near Ipswich. You remember mm-hmm. Ipswich? Just before Ipswich, Wolston, and that was the place where they used to hide people away who had profound medical or psychiatric issues and this has been going on for years the back wards were controlled by you won't believe this by ex-SS officers who'd been recruited after the war and they actually control the whole back wards 
Uh, there was prostitution. People were forced into sexual acts. It was just horrendous. And you learnt about this when you were there. And there was not much you could do. But one thing that stuck in my mind is they used to group people in cages. You won't believe this. They used to group. This is 72. They used to group people in, in, a, in kind of wards and then they have a cage so they get some sun, right? And we're taken for the, you know, the usual tour and uh, this bloke says to me, digs me in the room and says, you see that Aboriginal bloke over there? He said, that's Eddie Gilbert. And I said, who's Eddie Gilbert? And he said, well, he bowled out Bradman. Now, Eddie Gilbert was a great Aboriginal bowler. But, and this is the extraordinary thing, he had been placed in a ward where there were people with syphilitic brain damage, right? Now, Eddie Gilbert could have actually been cured with penicillin at any stage. But his life was so worthless that he was placed in that position. And it was just an extraordinary moment. And I did a fair bit of research on Eddie Gilbert. And even Bradman felt very bad about what had actually happened to Eddie Gilbert. But that's the way people used to be treated. Just extraordinary. Uh, mm. And it was accepted. And you'd have the pinheads in one ward. You'd have the Korsakoffs, which is people with you know, permanent brain damage from alcohol abuse, in another ward. It's just medieval. Mm. And you're doing this tour as a medical student. And then you, you, you know, you, you start, you're doing three or four weeks uh, placement there. So, so there are, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, there are, everybody has a story. Mm. Everybody's experienced something. And those experiences have profound impact on an individual mm. and they push you in certain directions. Now you can ignore them or you can let them, you know, shape you. I mean, uh, another story. I know this is boring. Six, not at all, not at all. It's 1634. This is Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 855 on your AM dial. Our guest didn't turn up. We had short notice, unfortunately. So we're trying to encourage you to ring on 94198377 and become a guest. Not today. An hour interview. Come in. Talk to us about your life. You know, your hopes for the future. Ideally live, but if you are unable to come at 4pm of a Wednesday afternoon, Joe and I are happy to arrange to record at a different time. Yeah. So just so that we can make sure your story gets heard. Yeah, but it'll be but it'll be live. It'll be live in terms of that the interview we will do we'll is live. We'll record it live. live. We'll record it live. But we, and we do we do no editing. I will assure you, and that's why we do them live because we do no editing whatsoever. Nil. Editing. It's not like some, you know, uh, corporate-owned media. These slick know. little passages with yeah. ice cold cans of coke coming at you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, could you do that again, Dale? No, thank you. No, I almost made myself sick. All right, now don't do that because I'm, then I'm left by myself, Dale. You know <laughs> that I'm totally incompetent here without you. Uh, and that's the beauty. I think I'm the only person at 3CR who's never learnt how to actually operate the panel. Well, you know, it's it's good fun, and I I feel really lucky to get a chance to panel for Radical Australia because of the incredible people we've had come through, and mm. I've you know I've learned so much, mm. and it's you know I just it's informed my behaviours, my actions, my opinions, just mm. hearing people's stories, so especially over the last couple of years, you know. 
before Radical Australia as a program came on air was during, you know, the, the Abbott and Howard stop the boats period, you know, and to have, have an opportunity to actually speak to people who've managed to seek asylum in Australia from, on the boats and to hear that how harrowing the stories are that leads them, you know, the real story behind the bullshit headlines, you know, has, you know, well, it can cannot help but change how you view what the mainstream has to say about these issues, you know. And it's it really, I'm I'm grateful to have had an opportunity to sat in and and heard these people's stories, because it I think it makes me a better person and a better Australian. It does. It makes you a real Australian. But but you know the, I think, the fact is that when people open up, they open our eyes. And we learn something every week. We learn something. So I am encouraging you to ring and uh, give your name and phone number to Jane on the uh, front desk. She'll pass it on to us at 5pm and I'll ring you sometime tomorrow or the day after and we'll uh, slot you in. Mm. It's very simple. We've got another about another 20 weeks to go before the end of the year, maybe 25 weeks. And uh, it's very simple. It's easy. Don't. And if you change, if you, you know, you get a bit of courage later on, Ring tomorrow. Tell people you want to be on Radical Australia. They'll take down your name and phone number and we'll get back to you. That number again is 94198377. Now, Dale, have you got any stories for us? Well, look, I'd just like to play a little excerpt from um, an interviewee we had a couple of years ago. Excellent, excellent. And this is uh, from Maurice Hanare. And this is just a a little taste of some of the voices you'll hear here on Radical Australia. My mother is a Yorta Yorta lady, Yorta Yorta Kamarajunga. My father is Australian, Mm -hmm. um, but of Irish heritage. Even though my mother was a a Yorta Yorta lady, she was a very educated lady. Mm -hmm. Picked on a lot and that at school. Another Koori lady. And mum used to have to stand there and make acknowledgement of the Australian flag. They Mm -hmm. wouldn't do it and they wouldn't wear shoes. So they're always in trouble, those two the back of the Cannonook, which was known as Freshwater Creek. It wasn't Cannonook until the men come in and started dredging, mm-hmm. then became dirty, slushy water, mm-hmm. and that there were a lot of humpies around in those days at that part, um, and humpies also up at Mordialic. Why were there humpies at that particular Because point? that's where they lived. Right, and this is, yes. this is, this is in And Melbourne. that's why there's still mittens there and yeah. stuff like that. Right, yeah. right, mm. so you had... A lot of the Aboriginal people still living in, in yeah. a semi-traditional way. That's right, yeah. yeah, until they were told to move on, of course. We were treated very different. We were just told we were scatterbrains and no use, you know, you going in to learn the piano or no use you going to, to learn certain things, to be in a choir and that because you, you just wouldn't understand anyway. We got called snotty-nosed kids and had our hair cut off because lice were going around in those days. and But I noticed mostly the children that had the haircut with the Koori kids. Mm. Well, I was torn between religions, I can mm. tell you that. And like in my days, you were taught more about the damnation of everything, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Rather, rather than the love of Christ, you were talking about horrible things, you know, and the devil would get you. I can remember 
uh, a book of a, a baby on a, a water lily leaf and the little cupy baby had mm. no clothes and I got told I was an evil child, I was part of the devil's domain and all this and that because I was filling it in, colouring it in with lead pencil. I got a caning over that, I remember that caning very bad. Amongst each other we never denied our culture, it was really important to us and even speaking the tongue, you know, a lot of people spoke the tongue I couldn't even pronounce the words properly myself, but right. tried, yeah. So they did they didn't speak language at that stage. Yes, yeah. Right. And a lot you weren't allowed to, of course. No. But yeah, a lot of them did. If they were amongst themselves, yes. And you know, they'd just talk of the past and things like that. So you learned your history by just talking and yarning. I remember the fact of uh Aboriginals being able to vote which was, I think, February sometime, 1967. I remember doing a march from Aboriginal Health Centre in that Fitzroy Street, Fitzroy Street going yeah. up to Parliament House. Wow. I was there. Yeah, and that was, we were protesting about things and then we protested about the land belonging to certain people in Mildura, about the right for Aboriginal people to be able to vote was the most important thing that I can remember. Uh, there were other issues of people being locked up for no reason at all, really, because you were seen with another person and you didn't have a pound in your pocket, so you're booked for vagrancy, you're booked for associating with a known criminal and any little stupid thing, and it was only because you were a Koori or you were in the company of Kouris, so you got labelled no good. They started on going to the prison and teaching the Māori the culture back again and the language and, and teaching them their self-worth and self-respect. Got people that were on CBOs, which is a community-based order, going to Māori meat mm. places and getting them to do their carving back and things like that. And the family, doing like family, you'll see on some Māori's, you'll see tattoos, which represents their family, mm. what tribe, whether, like my husband's tribe was a Napui tribe. Mm. So it represents those things. My kids brought home kids and I yeah. mind them, kids that ran away from home mm. because they were having troubles and stuff like that. Mm. The door was always open because I'd been living on the street myself when I was younger and I know how hard it is. And you don't want to live on the street, but sometimes it's safer to sleep out than what it is to be at home. Mm. And, you know, especially if you've got a, a person in your family that's got a problem, whether it be a drug problem or an alcoholic problem, you seem to suffer mentally the abuse and you take it with it's a piece of baggage that comes with you all the time. And if you're a street person or an institution person, you become that institutionalised, they're the only people that you can associate with because you understand each other. We look after one another and like if you're on the street, you'd try and get with the females to sleep because you knew if the men invited you home, it was for only one thing. But yes. sometimes you would have to give in to that because it was the only way you were going to have a shower and a feed and, mm. and, and things like that. So, and a lot of girls, they end up working on the streets. I was lucky I didn't. Mm. I was very determined, you know, that. I was going to live my life the way I, I wanted to live it. So I just went, as they call it now, couch hopping from one place to another. And I was very lucky because I knew a lot of Curry people and I never got abused or used by any of them. I was in deficit custody with Reg Blow, Uncle mm. Reg. I, I joined that because I believed in it because I, I've seen so many things happen. 
apart from having foster kids, I heard the pain that was going with them and I didn't want them in white institutions and things like that because they weren't learning respect, they weren't learning culture. I was a stickler for culture. And Why do you think culture is so important? Because it's a belonging. It's a belonging. And you don't know who you are until you start getting back to your culture. I think everybody has a right to know where they are from and I think whatever culture, and ours is the oldest culture, uh, we have a right to know that. And then once you start knowing that, you start belonging. I'd done a painting once and this one woman wanted to see who the artist was. And when I went up, she just looked at me strange. And she said, "This, you know, you can get to a lot of trouble doing Aboriginal work. I said, I'm quite aware of that, you know. And I said, if you had read the paper, you would have seen where I'm from and, and things like that, my resolution number and, and all this my identity she said my dear looking at you you're so white she said you really don't have to tell anyone you're aboriginal and i I was absolutely shocked Mm. i said well why should i hide my identity why should i be ashamed of my grandmother's side so i thought for an educated woman you're pretty much of a (laughs) a-hole i would go out in st kilda and we would feed um, homeless people and give them blankets and clothes and stuff like that. Got to know a lot of the working people there, girls and boys. And then half the time, if they were really, really young, I'd take them home. Institutions started gradually closing down at that time. A lot of the kids that were very, very young, I would take them home because I knew that they would be put into Tirana. Some of them, because they were a little bit autistic or something like that in those days, they were put in Royal Park Receiving Depot or Mont Park which I don't know if anybody knows, uh, mental institutions. and and, and and Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even if you took epileptic fits, you were put out in those places. So it was a pretty hard life in that way. Mm. So I used to take some of the kids home, whether they be white or black, I didn't care. Do you think things are actually getting worse or better? Worse, because the government's closing everything down. It's all money, 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 money. They're not worried about people. I mean, on the peninsula, there's a Navy base that's been empty for 20-odd years that I know of. I went to a member of parliament and spoke to her about it, and I said, why can't we, instead of breaking up families, why can we not put these families that are drug addicts out there, start educating them, keep the families together so they're working together. Mm. Kids are not being pulled away from their families. And they, She said she would bring it up at Parliament. Nothing's ever happened. It's still there. It's still empty. I mean, they've got everything there, all the facilities. People shouldn't have to be living on the street. They should be in something like that. Uh, in, in Sydney, the council, you go to the council and you say, right, I'm homeless, can you give me an address of where I can sleep? Buildings that are going to be pulled down, mm-hmm. they have it written down mm-hmm. and they give them that address. They can stay there right. until, you know, it's time for someone to build on that land. Why can't they do that here? You don't have to go overseas, it's right here. Get out one thirty, two o'clock in the morning and mm. just go into the city and look in the doorways and you'll see it. Mm. Go down to the bridge in Frankston, there's people sleeping underneath the bridge. There's families because there's a domestic issue going on because of drugs and the husband's using all the money. They're sleeping in cars. What does the council do? Move them on, put a sticker there, pay a fine. Mm. They can't even pay rent. How can they pay a fine? Mm. 
I've walked in their shoes and I know how hard it is to exist and I know how hard it is when you think I've had enough, I want to commit suicide. Don't think it's a gutless way out or anything like that. It's hard when you think I've had enough. It is really hard and then you survive and you think, you know, life is good. There are good people. We did have a church in Frankston that was giving out breakfast and and allowing people to have a shower. But apparently one day a young guy, he jumped the counter, frightened the hell out of the ladies and then jumped through the glass window. So they took a few days off and then they decided, you know, that they couldn't handle it. It was too violent and all this and that. So they closed it down so those people had nowhere to go. And then right next to it is the football ground. Now... A lot of men were sleeping there. They weren't making any trouble. They weren't drinking and always cleaned up after their cell. What happened, the police found out they were sleeping there, so they went down and started locking them up and harassing them. What I can see and what I've heard from people, mm. kids as well as adults, know, no. nothing has really changed. We seem to be going backwards. Don't give people money. I'll take take for a meal. That's what I say when they ask me for money. I'll take you for a meal anywhere you want to go. Mm. Don't judge people by what you see. Don't believe what you read in papers because they want to make money. Just go by your heart. Have a look outside one o'clock in the morning. Make it your business to see, and you'll find that there's people out there that are totally lost. And if you can, help them. Well, did you notice, Dale, that how polite, pleasant I was and how I kept to the background? Yes. And it was all about the person we're interviewing, not about you, or more importantly about me. Hmm. And that's, the, that's, 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 that's the key to a good interview. And also, um, you know, Maurice is a great example of someone who's, who's compelled to be active in her community through her experiences mm. and that's why we need to that's why it's so biographical because the mainstream would have people believe that the great unwashed are just a bunch of rat bags who are egomaniacs it's not the case it's, these are some of the most selfless people that you'll find people with the very least of resources doing the most they can for their community mm. Well, that's right, and that's, that's what we're interested in. We're interested in people. You don't have to be, the other thing is, you don't have to be old no. to have gone through experiences that you could communicate and that are life changing for other people as well as for yourself. You don't have to be 96 and have gone through the trenches and been in World War II and World War I and the Boer War to be on Radical Australia. I mean, you could be, I think our youngest person was 19 and had an extraordinary life. You know, mm. they were expelled from uh, kindergarten mm. great beginning you know mm. expelled at four from kindergarten so and, you know they were quite interesting but what I'm, what I'm saying is you don't have to be elderly you don't have to have gone you know every barricade every protest it just maybe there is one particular thing that really has you know um, defines you and uh, we're quite happy to talk about it mm. now that number again Nine four one nine eight three double seven. We will be reassessing the whole program at the end of the year. Uh, we would like to uh, continue the program, but again, if there's no interest in terms of guests, well, we will have to reassess the, the whole nature of the program, which I think will be a pity. This is a free CR program. It's not an affiliate program. It's an hour which is set aside by the Community Radio Federation for us to interview people who have uh, 
been active in their lives, who may have succeeded, who may have failed. It doesn't really matter. It's about, it's about trying. And your experiences do resonate with other people's experience. So, so when mm. you come along and talk, of, you're not, you're talking about what you've gone through, but that's the very, those very experiences are the things that are going to resonate with other mm. people's experiences. Mm. And it's going to create that idea of community. It's going to create that bond mm. that, and that invitation to get involved as well. Mm. Mm. Could you ask me about my hero. Yes, I would like. I would like to know <laughs> who does the great Dr. Joe Toscano have as a hero? Well, I've got two heroes. Uh huh. Both dead. Oh, but that's well. That's the thing about heroes. heroes. At my age, they'd be dead. You know. <laughs> uh, one was Barchin. Barchin, tell uh, us about Barchin. He's Bar-Chin. an extraordinarily popular Chinese author and anarchist in the 1920s and 1930s in China who survived the Cultural Revolution and died at about 99 in 2005. Okay. An extra- well, actually three. He was, he was an extraordinary anarchist uh, activist uh, who survived uh, many humiliations. But he, even now, if you speak to people uh, from China, they will know him because his books were part of the curriculum. Uh, over many decades before the Communist Party came to power. And uh, he was so powerful, his ideas, that after the Communist Party came to power, his books were still read, although he was an anarchist. Now, the other one is Haki Rak, H-A-K-I-R-A-K. He was an extraordinary Korean anarchist who was involved... People would call him a terrorist, obviously. He was involved in the struggle against the Japanese invasion of Korea and the humiliations and depravity of the uh, Japanese imperial forces, you know, uh, in Korea. And he was basically a bomber. Uh, He was a saboteur. Uh, If you go to Korea, South Korea, at the National... Liberation at the National Independence Museum, which isn't in actually in Seoul but further inland, there are 25 statues. Four of them are devoted to anarchists who actually were involved in the in the resistance against the uh, Japanese. And I'm going to show you the only statues to anarchists anywhere in the world. Mm. And I met him initially in 1986 when he came to Melbourne as our guest for the anarchist centenary celebrations in 1986. And my late wife, Ellen Jose, and myself, we went back to Korea in 1994 as the guests of the Anarchist Federation, the Korean Anarchist Federation. And uh, even then, he was, a, he was a professor of philosophy at Seoul University, a cranky old man with a stick. And I remember him, we went all over, he showed, we went all over Korea and uh, doing lectures and things. And uh, he'd get on a train. He'd wave his stick. People would recognise who he was and you'd get a seat immediately. That's the last thing. <laughs> and he also made very good plum wine. I remember <laughs> that. And the last one was an Australian. is good old Senator George Georges, who you may have remembered was a senator for Queensland. And I remember when you know demonstrations were illegal yes. under the Alki Peterson regime, yes. a crowd of three was considered to be an illegal gathering. As, as a teenager, we couldn't go to the cinema together. Like we had, we couldn't meet outside the cinema. Yeah. We had to meet inside the cinema because if we met outside, it was deemed uh, an illegal gathering. That's right. And poor old Senator George was about five foot two, fat, rotund. You know, he was a Greek Greek uh, heritage. And I remember he'd stand side by side with us demonstrators in the 1970s and the cops would make a beeline for him. This is a senator, remember? Mm. A federal senator beat the shit out of him, throw him in the paddy van and 
next week or the week after he'd be back on the front lines. Great man. Mm. And uh, he died recently. He died a few years ago. Mm. Well, Dale, you've got a, a song for us, have you? Well, each week we finish off with uh, a song that I play by a woman called Ellen Kibble. And, um, you know, I guess I, I'm, I really love this song because I met Ellen when she was 14. And uh, she was struggling with um, depression and then I just happened to be around at the right time and um, introduced her to guitar playing. And uh, then uh, and I remember um, she'd written her first song and she said, because um, I was working at a school with her, she said, Miss Bridge, Miss Bridge, um, I want to play this song for you. But she didn't want anyone else to hear it. So we took, she took me into this little room where no one could hear. And I thought to myself, it doesn't matter how the song sounds, I'm going to tell her it's awesome. And she started playing and singing, and I just started crying. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. And a couple of years later, she ended up in Melbourne, and I was lucky enough to get her on my program. So each week, I finish off a show with a song by her. And, um, yeah, this is... So we're going to say goodbye now and invite you to ring up 94198377 and come on the show as a guest. But here's Ellen Kibble. We'll talk to you next week. the bodies strung up in the tree.